I love this time of year. You know, there's so much going on. Everything's getting started. Where they're starting to change to the best season, which is fall. The, today we celebrate the Mass for our next bishop. We're going to interceding for whoever's to be named the 11th Bishop of Helena. And that's kind of an exciting thing to pray for as a diocese, uh, that we get a good shepherd. And then kind of also this weekend marks pretty much the end of summer, at least for Butte Central. I know Butte, Butte High Kids, I think, told me they get a week or two more. But, you know, fall sports have started for everyone, and I always kind of consider that the real end of summer because you have responsibilities again, you know, and it kind of feels like it's over. And I think we have a lot of the uh, faculty and staff from, from Butte Central here for the blessing of teachers and students as the school year begins. So there's been a lot of my heart. And I think what I wanted to, when I was kind of praying about what to preach about this weekend, what, what was on my heart the most was a lot of the struggles that our young people are going to, through. So I want to, as we enter into this new school year, I want to propose a few things uh, and just kind of hopefully make us all aware of just what our young people are going through in the hopes of kind of moving forward. You know, this first weekend of August, I did a young adult retreat for a bunch of young adults up at Legendary, and then I was the chaplain of Little Girls Week with 110 little girls running around, fifth and sixth grade girls up there. It took a tremendous amount of energy. And then the following week, I took a bunch of kids on a river trip on the Yellowstone. So, so basically, I've been spending a lot of time with young people and asking a lot of questions and trying to get at the root of some of the things that they're struggling with. So I, uh, I wanted to preach about some of that. And, and some of the issues with what this kind of what we call Generation Z or I generation, you know, mid-90s to early 2000s, are struggling with is that it's something that no previous generations really have. So it's hard for us to even delineate what the heck is going on here. So before I go into any detail, I just want to make clear that I'm not kind of sounding some apocalyptic horn as though it's like the worst time in human history to be alive as a young person. Every generation has its struggles. And, and it, even if we just look at Paul's letter today, we see he says, Brothers and sisters, watch carefully how you live, not as foolish but as wise, making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. You know, even Paul was saying this 2,000 years ago. We still have to say it today because it's our duty to kind of figuring out, figure out what's going on and, and address those things as Christians. But I think the advantage that Paul had over us is that the, the evils of his day were like all the typical excesses, you know, in food and drink and, and sex and, and people falling into idolatry and, and division within the community and, and ignorance of God's will, kind of willful ignorance of God's will. And I think the evil that we face today is much more subtle, kind of confusing, hard-to-pin-down type of thing. And that's, and that's just the general feeling of meaningless meaninglessness that I think a lot of people struggle with today. You know, Gene Twangy wrote a fascinating article in The Atlantic recently where she tried to kind of flush out all the struggles of this upcoming generation and, and why they're struggling. Because a lot of the traditional numbers look good. 
And I'll, I'll name some of the stuff. So the current generation of teens are less likely to go out and cause chaos in the community. So, you know, 12th graders in 2015 are leaving their homes fewer than 8th graders did in 2009. That's a, that's a really fast shift. So they're generally much safer because they're at home. You know, teen crime has plummeted. Homicide rates amongst teens have actually, has actually de- decreased. You know, teens are dating less. Uh, only about half of high school seniors dated in, in 2015, as opposed to, you know, 85% was the steady trend for nearly 80 years up until then. So that means, you know, sexual activity amongst teens has decreased as well, and, and uh, pregnancy rate amongst teens is at an all-time low. It's good numbers. You know, things are looking good in that, in that regard. But not so fast. What I say is what they face is, is a much different struggle. It's much more subtle. And those are the old problem indicators amongst teens that we used to look at. Now we're in a new era. So, kids aren't going out. They're spending a lot more time at home. What are they doing? Hanging out with family? Nope. You know, intentional family time numbers have been down since the 90s. Kids studying? You know, I was hoping that was what it was. They study less and read less than previous generations. So, that's not what they're doing either. And another thing they're not doing is hanging out with friends. So, the number of teens who actually get together with their friends on a nearly daily basis, which is kind of how I grew up, has dropped nearly 40% in the last 15 years. So kids aren't hanging out with their families more. They're hanging out with their parents less. Or they're hanging out with their fa- friends less. And they're hanging out with their family no more than they used to. So wh- who are they hanging out with? You're like, kids under 18, who are you hanging out with? Turns out, no one. It doesn't mean they're partying less. It means they're just hanging out together less and alone more. And as can be expected, loneliness numbers have skyrocketed. You know, this is the new number. This is the new data. Turns out America's a lonely place to live, but especially for young people. In a nationwide survey, you know, 54% of people under 18 consider themselves definitively lonely. Not like they feel lonely from time to time, but they are just lonely people. So the overall kind of score that they received in this test was a 48, which is not a good score. You know, kids from 10 to 24. And then people over 72 scored a 38, which means that our, our young people are lonelier than our, old pe- than our elderly. And how can that be? You know, they're in the prime of their life. And I think it's, it seems obvious that the high loneliness and depression rates leads to an increase in suicide. So now we see that suicide is the third leading cause of death amongst people from 10 to 24. 4,600 kids a year. And the increase is most severe amongst teenage girls. 66% increase since 2000. So what is going on? Now, where is this feeling of meaninglessness that is obviously driving all of this coming from? I think there's a lot of factors, but the biggest and the most pervasive, and I, and I think also hardest for us to understand as, you know, as older generations, because we just didn't face this, is, is the massive, unprecedented impact 
of social media and smartphones. I mean, I would think that kids are spending time on their phones because it, it makes them happy, you know, because it's entertaining and it makes them happy. Because otherwise, if you're lonely by yourself in your room, why don't you just get on your bike or in your car and drive over to your friend's house? It seems like a simple solution to the problem. It's not like this, the loneliness problems don't stem from the same thing that elderly face because often they, can't, they don't have the mobility to move outside of the place where they live. You know, young people do. But social spaces, the places we used to hang out, the local haunts, have been replaced by digital spaces, all the social media spaces. That's where, just where people hang out now. And so it, it, that's what's provoking this kind of just being at home alone. You don't need to leave your home to hang out with your friends. I was sitting with a group of guys at a basketball game last year, and you know I was chatting with them, and then I turned to talk to someone who was passing by for a couple of minutes, and then when I turned back, you know, all 12 guys were just sitting there on their phones, silent. And I was like, I'm just going to wait this out, see how long it takes for someone to say something out loud. So I wait there. 12 minutes, solid silence. Before I finally, I was just like, I had to confront them. I had to do something about it. And it turned out, they were all hanging out. They were just hanging out by Snapchat and messages and sending pictures and videos instead of saying things out loud. So then I suddenly, I was like, well, maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon who doesn't understand the new ways. You know, like, I got into Instant Messenger when it came out on the internet. You know, I followed all those trends. So maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon. Or is this actually a serious problem? And I think the numbers suggest that it's actually a serious problem. You know, kids who spend 10 or more hours on social media a week, and, I, and I've talked to all of you, you spend way more than that. Uh, so trust me, if your kids have a smartphone, they're spending more than 10 hours. Are 56% more likely to say they're unhappy than kids who spend less time. 56%. The flip side, kids who spend more time with their friends, actually physical time, are 20% more likely to say they're happy than the average kid. So all the numbers point to more screen time equals less happiness. I've gotten so desperate when I try to get kids out of their house, when I'm like, hey, you need to get out and have fun, that I'm like encouraging kids to go vandalize stuff. Like do anything, you know, like go commit a misdemeanor. Uh, And I'm kidding, obviously. I'm not actually encouraging kids to do that. But the data suggests that doing anything You know, literally anything that involves another person and doesn't involve a screen is going to bring you greater happiness. Now, I admit, like, a lot of that, what I just said, sounded more like a sociology lecture than a homily. So why am I preaching about this? Because I love when, like, the hard numbers, the data points to truths that the the Christian faith has been preaching all along that we've been teaching from the very beginning. And that's that this life from beginning to end, our whole lives, are about meaningful relationships, are about relationships that actually mean something, that are good. And that's what will bring us happiness. Anything that gets in the way of good, real relationships is going to make us unhappy, inevitably. You know, and and in every age, We seek to build walls against real relationships with others. And that's because they're difficult. They're messy. They take 
true love, which is demanding on us. It, it means that we have to like, let go of our own interests and the things that we want for the sake of other people and to put them before we put ourselves. And that's difficult, so we always build walls against that. Uh, we always try to escape it. But in every age, our goal is to, as Christians, tear down those walls and bring back those real, meaningful relationships. You know, I, think, I just think smartphones and social media are, are a very effective way of putting up a wall. And that's because they give us the impression, you know, at least social media gives us the impression that, that we're connecting with people, but it's actually alienating us from the, from the people that we love. I think first in our relationship with God, it, it demands silence. And I think I've said this before a lot. We have, to, we have to disconnect from the world to really pray. We have to distance ourselves from those things of the world. We have to pay attention to something that's not obvious to our eyes or ears. And that's almost impossible when the, the kind of digital world is bearing down upon us, when it's right in our pocket, when it's on our wrist with smartphones. You know, like it, we're always connected to that world and we can't get away from it so we can't really see where God's moving in our lives. Uh, and then in our relationships with others, we have to actually spend time together, real time, intentional time, and be attentive to the needs of someone besides ourselves. And we have to be vulnerable in revealing ourselves to others, to those who we love. But in order to even do that, we have to know ourselves first. Uh, we actually have to know who we are. And we all know that social media presents a false self. You know, it's fake to, to one extent or another. And that's why over half of teenagers believe that no one really knows who they are. 56% of teenagers think that no one knows who they are. Not a single person in this world really knows them. That's a terrible number. Not even their parents, they would say. And hopefully it's not true. But they believe it. Because to know ourselves, and to really, for someone else to really know us, that has to, to a certain extent, has to be revealed to us by God. We find out who we are as, as God reveals us to ourselves. And then also as those who we love reveal us to ourselves. So, this homily's been too long, but I'm going to finish with a fervorino real quick. So, young people who are here, there's quite a few actually, I'm happy about that. This homily's for you, because, and I'm going to be dogging on you all year long about the same thing. I'm on a crusade against this. But be courageous in breaking away from that digital world. It's not, it's not a totally bad thing. I don't want to condemn it outright. But get off your phones and spend time with your friends. Go out. Be creative in the ways that you have fun. Uh, I'm not encouraging misdemeanors. But go out and have fun. Be bored together. You know? And especially in your adventure as Christians, be courageous in that. Parents, force your kids to hang out with you. I've, I, Butte's better at doing that than other places that I've been. But they want to hang out with you, trust me, you know, even if they don't seem like they want to. And take away their phone. And if you don't take away their phone, then figure out what they're doing on their phones. Because I'm, I almost guarantee that most of you don't know what they're doing. You're not invading their privacy if you lock it down to 1.5 hours a day. You know, you're actually preventing an epidemic of depression and loneliness. 
You know, more than three hours a day on a phone or in front of a screen in general increases depression 27%. You know, it makes, it makes kids 35% more likely to have suicidal thoughts. Those numbers are crazy. So are you not willing to do anything to stop that? You know, and then teachers. There's quite a few of you here today. This is the generation you're forming in the intellectual life. They read and study less. Just told you those numbers. You've got to change that with your witness. Don't just, don't just diss on them for being attached to their phones. I do that too much. But actually witness to a joyful life that's lived in real relationship with people in this world. And you have no clue what your witness will do. Same with grandparents, family members. Witness to that life, the joyful Christian life of real relationship. So then one final note from our gospel today. It's a continuation of the bread of life discourse from John. And Jesus tells us, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will remain in me and I in him. And that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. When we approach the altar to receive communion, we enter into the most intimate relationship in this world, in this universe. A bodily relationship with our God, which is at the root of every other relationship. It's the foundation of every relationship we have in our life. And if we embrace that, if we enter deeply into that relationship, then we'll have the strength and the courage to witness joyfully to all other relationships in our life. Amen.